Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in June of 1968. An award-winning investigative journalist unravels the clues and discusses the possibility the supposed gunman Sirhan Sirhan was a programmed patsy. The expert uh, from Harvard Medical School who spent years with this case visiting Sirhan, this man is an expert hypnotist, and he has said that Sirhan was one of the most extreme cases of hypnotic suggestibility he had ever seen, that he could get him to go into a trance in a second. This podcast is brought to you by House Carers. You know the feeling, that knot that materializes in your stomach as you drive away from your house to begin a two-week vacation. By the time you hit the highway, worries are running through your mind. Did I turn off the coffee pot? What if the house burns down? Well, thankfully, there's a cure for this same old panic attack. House sitting. If you don't have a neighbor to keep watch over your home while you're away, a house sitter can really help with your sanity. And there's a company that can match you up with someone who will look after your home. And more importantly, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable. House Carers has been securely matching homeowners with house sitters for nearly 20 years. And they have pet sitters too. Find out more at clearbroadcast.com. Clearbroadcast.com. That's clearbroadcast.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Hope you had a productive week, a profitable week. You know me, I'm a rapacious capitalist. I want everyone to make lots of money. I have an acquaintance, actually, that he's just out of university, getting ready to enter the workforce, and he's an avowed socialist. And that's fine. I tell him, you know, that's all right. A lot of us were socialists in college. And then you get a job and responsibility, and gradually you come around, and through life experience, and most importantly, through common sense, you become more conservative, generally. He's insistent, however, that he'll never abandon his socialist principles, no matter what. Sounds familiar. Ah, comrade, I told him, uh, if you only knew what life would be like in a socialist country. And then I told him this old joke that I remembered from the days of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. So this guy, after years of saving up, This Soviet man finally has enough to buy a car, and he goes to the appropriate ministry, of course, and informs them that he would like to purchase a vehicle. There are currently shortages. It will be three years before your car is available, the minister informs the man. We will have it sent to your house when it is ready. Three years, he responds. Oh, what month? August, says the minister. August? What day in August, asks the man. The second of August, says the minister. Morning or afternoon, asks the man. Why do you need to know, asks the minister, getting exasperated. Well, the plumber's coming in the morning, the man responds. (laughs) I love that joke. Well, enough of that, because a couple of weeks ago, we actually marked a solemn occasion, June 6th. 
was the 50th anniversary of the murder of Senator Robert F. Kennedy, the younger brother of John F. Kennedy, former U.S. Attorney General. Uh, Bobby was seeking the Democratic nomination for president in 1968 when he was gunned down in the pantry of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. And the supposed gunman, a young Palestinian-American, Sirhan Sirhan, continues to languish in prison. He pled guilty on the advice of his lawyer, despite Sirhan insisting he had no memory of shooting the uh, senator. Russ Baker is an award-winning investigative journalist who has written for major news organizations around the world, including the New York Times, Vanity Fair, and Esquire. He's been a contributing editor to the Columbia Journalism Review. He's the author of a best-selling work of investigative history, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Most Invisible Government, and The Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. He's founder and editor-in-chief of the groundbreaking news site, whowhatwhy.com, which specializes in digging into the stories the conventional media barely touches. Whowhatwhy.com is nonpartisan and nonprofit and receives all of its funding through public donations. Hey, Russ, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Great. Thank you very much. So uh, we've passed the uh, the 50th anniversary of RFK's assassination, but I wanted to ask you, um, this was very interesting, that Bobby Jr. should visit Sirhan Sirhan in prison um, and uh, has sort of lent his support for a new investigation. Give me your thoughts on on that meeting. What do you think went down when they when they met face to face for the first time? Well, I imagine it was a very powerful emotional experience for both of them um, from the people I, I've uh, read about or spoken to who have encountered Sirhan. He is a very gentle fellow, uh, has been since uh, his trial, that there was nothing in his demeanor or personality that would indicate uh, a person who would commit an act like this. And I imagine as we go into detail, we'll see there are some real questions as to whether he did. And, and uh, you know, it's, you know, Bobby has had many, many years to mull this, to read things, to hear people coming forward with fascinating information. And I think at some point he uh, felt that he had at least, uh, you know, his father uh, was very concerned about justice. And if, in fact, the wrong man was accused or something like that, they wouldn't just uh, turn a blind eye to it. Now, Sirhan Sirhan should have been eligible for parole, I believe, in 1994. Now, had had the, the victim not been a presidential candidate, I'm guessing he would he would already be out, correct? Uh, I think that's probably right. Um, also because, it, I mean, it's quite just staggering all of the questions about uh, him and what role, if any, he played, uh, what his capacity was, what he was aware of. I mean, there was so much evidence. There have been other, there was one uh, a few years back, I'm trying to remember the date, another a parole hearing and uh, uh, you know again he was turned down I mean even uh, Paul Schrade uh, a personal friend of Bobby's uh, was there and was sort of shocked at the way that the board treated Sirhan and uh, with just you know disrespect and also just ignoring uh, the weight of everything um, from you know his his behavior in prison uh, to the fact that so many people are raising questions about his guilt uh, and, you know, this is, I think, marked the whole process from the beginning was the way that the system, whatever that is, uh, has ignored uh, almost everything, uh, determined to 
go with this original narrative despite some very, very substantial doubts. You mentioned Paul Schrade and this gentleman now in his, I believe, his early 90s. And he, of course, was in Bobby's entourage, was also uh, shot in the head but survived. And he sort of... Um, I'm not sure if he's the one that's launching or calling for this new investigation, but he's certainly in the forefront of of calling for a new investigation. Where do you think that'll go, if anywhere? Oh, you know, I mean, Paul Schrade is a very dignified, uh, very elegant man, and I had the pleasure of meeting him. We also did, as I recall, a podcast with him on whowhatwhy.org. But, uh, you know, despite the fact that he is such an impressive uh, resume, uh, the fact that he was a, pre- a close friend of the victim, that he was shot, um, they seem to be able to just ignore him. And I think that without some kind of public outcry or upswelling of support for um, for a new investigation, um, you know, any one individual, whether it's him or it's Bobby, uh, I'm not sure they're really going to be able to move the needle. Um, it really comes down to the rest of us, frankly, taking an interest in this. And I, I'm sure you encounter the same thing. I mean, I know your show has this term conspiracy. I always hate those terms because I feel like it takes normal things and it kind of puts it in this weird category when it's not weird at all. It's just due diligence. It's, it's just, uh, being fair, uh, investigating, uh, not being naive, not, uh, accepting what we're told by, uh, institutions that have lied time and time again. So I think we've got to change our thinking, uh, and we've all got to get involved in these inquiries. And of course, I don't see, uh, the RFK shooting alone. I look at it as part of a long series of political assassinations of this country that I think have never been seriously investigated. I think we need a movement to look into all of them. I, I want to talk about the evidence uh, in a moment, but I, I do want to address the um, the word conspiracy. And I, I agree. I, I always say, though, the name, the reason I call it that is I want to, I want to be upfront about it. I want to take the name back. I want to take the word back because conspiracy is part of the judicial system. I mean, it, it, it's a crime. It's not just a theory, and and oftentimes what we're talking about when we're talking about conspiracies are crimes. Um, so, the evidence. Never before have I seen a case uh, that you know, given some competent representation, uh, Sirhan Sirhan certainly should have not walked necessarily because he did, he did, you know, fire a weapon. Uh, but certainly, you know, all the evidence points to somebody else. And so I want to talk about Sir Han's legal representation at the time, because this fellow that represented him initially seemed to be a bit of a shady character. There was some criminal uh, proceedings hanging over his head that suddenly went away after Sir Han, Sir Han went to prison. That's right. He was in uh, jeopardy himself. And uh, was that a coincidence or was that not? I mean, you see these patterns all the way through. Uh, Jack Ruby had a very dubious uh, legal counsel that he said, I don't want this lawyer. You know, I mean, uh, if we do think there's a possibility that uh, these people were patsies or somehow being railroaded, then then the Council that appeared or was provided for them, uh, we have to take a hard look at those people. And I think there's no question that Sir Han's initial attorney was not serving his interests. Um, 
he uh, was telling him uh, that there were, there, you know, not to contest it, that it was a fait accompli and so on. And, and yes, I think this guy indeed was very shady and uh, was under some kind of pressure to make sure that things went down the way that uh, the authorities wanted to go down. And I think coincidentally, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure about all of the, the intricate details of the case that he was involved with uh, that, again, suddenly went away. Uh, but he, I believe, was involved in a case that involved, it was a kind of a gambling scam, and it involved Johnny Roselli, who, was he not part of the Sam Giancana gang, who may have also been involved in the JFK assassination? Exactly. Isn't that fascinating that you see these recurring characters in all of these sagas? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, Sir Han's lawyer was connected to Johnny Roselli, the fact that Johnny Roselli was both connected to uh, the mob and Sam Giancana, but also uh, had uh, direct ties into the intelligence community. And we see this from the whole uh, uh, Bay of Pigs, JFK, Cuba. Uh, this is the same constellation. And I think that is, I'm glad you raised that, because that to me is one of the most fascinating facts about the Bobby Kennedy shooting. It's one of the many elements that suggest that the Bobby a Kennedy shooting was a kind of a coda to the uh, to the JFK shooting. That these were these things were directly connected. And of course, they were uh, directly connected because uh, uh, all of those interests that were opposed to Jack Kennedy, uh, who was his attorney general, it was Bobby. And um, I, I think there was a sense that uh, when they took out Jack Kennedy, they also removed this attorney general Bobby, who was going after organized crime, who was going after the Teamsters, uh, was going. After so many elements, uh, and but then he resurfaces uh, as a U.S. senator, and then is running for president. And there are these rumors that he uh, wants to, when he becomes president, really get to the bottom of who killed his brother. Well, what a threat that was, of course. Was the L.A. County Medical Examiner Thomas Noguchi was he called to the stand at all? Well, you know, you've got me. You, you've got me on that. I don't remember the details of that, but I will tell you this: that that Coroner Noguchi did. Uh, find that Bobby Kennedy was killed with a shot at close range, I think about an inch or so behind his right ear. Exactly. Now, all you have to do is look at the pictures, and there's Sirhan Sirhan uh, in front of, facing Bobby Kennedy. So whether or not uh, he got any shots off, which we, we think he did, uh, and of course there's a whole other issue of whether he was alert and aware or had been manipulated into that, and hopefully we can talk about that, but uh, there's almost no question that he did not fire that fatal shot. So uh, unless Tom Noguchi was a total fool, I mean, he was at a very responsible position there in L.A., and he handled all those high-profile cases. And it was interesting uh, how the media loved him at <laughs> everything but, but this, and then suddenly, uh, you know, no discussion about his own a scientific ability with this type of thing and and I don't think anybody actually ever disputed it this is what this is what is so amazing about these stories there's so many holes in them uh you know the 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 Jack Kennedy shooting the Oswald story there there literally are hundreds or thousands of holes in the official narrative any one of which suggests that it's wrong and this Noguchi thing I mean that is a whopper yeah, I, I mean, I think my 11-year-old, either of my 11-year-old twin boys could have represented Sirhan and gotten him off, given the preponderance of evidence, uh, you know, which, again, points to another gunman. 
Now, the the weapon. This is an Ivor Ivor Woods twenty two. Was an eight-shot pistol, wasn't it? That, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was an eight-shot pistol, and I believe there are thought to have been uh, thirteen or more shots. Uh, so obviously, they didn't all come from his gun. Another thing was that there were, according to a, a an audio recording uh, on the scene, there were uh, two shots very close together, and the uh, uh, the ballistics experts say, well, there's no way that those two shots came from the same gun, no matter what gun it was. So again, you know, pick you know, pick your your choice here. Any of these things. Oh, how about this? How about that? Some of the shots ring out after uh, Sirhan has been you know pinned. He's they 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 pinned his hand to a steam table in that uh, in that kitchen. Uh, hallway area. They they pinned his hand down. I think it was Rosie Greer and um, uh, the, the two athletes, uh, Rayford Johnson. I guess. Right, right. Uh, they, they pinned his hand down. I think he got off one or two more, you know, kind of shot wild shots from there that did not hit hit Kennedy. Uh, but that was it. And they know when he was uh, immobilized, and then there are more shots. Right, right. And I'm I'm not sure if it was Rosie Greer, but someone commented that as Sirhan is firing off these shots, and as you say, his hand is pinned to the steam table. He's almost doing it in sort of a robotic fashion. I mean, uh, like there was no light behind those eyes. Right, and and that gets into this whole uh, issue of the uh, the expert uh, from Harvard Medical School who spent years uh, with this case visiting Sirhan. Uh, he this this man is a uh, is an expert hypnotist, and he has said that uh, that Sirhan was one of the most extreme cases of. Uh, hypnotic uh, suggestibility he had ever seen that he could get him to go into a trance in a second and they practiced a bunch of different things and Sirhan had been there's a whole fascinating backstory to how Sirhan uh, began visiting uh, shooting ranges in the pe- period prior to the Kennedy assassination uh, but that uh, uh, when he could trigger him with as little as just a tap on the shoulder and he would drop into uh, I think he called the range mode where he was at a firing range and they could do this and it was this automatic firing thing and that that is what he and there's also this uh, this uh, lawyer who's been very involved in the case uh, doing it at pro bono uh, and she says the same thing they're absolutely convinced that he was uh, being uh, suge- hypnotically suggested to go into that range mode, uh, and that that's what you're seeing. And of course, Sirhan said right from the beginning that he couldn't remember anything. He remembered, you know, later on, and we can talk about that. They took him through through hypnosis, and they they retrieved some early you know, some memories of things that happened earlier. Uh, you know, why he thought he had gone to the Ambassador Hotel there in downtown Los Angeles, how he ended up in particular places, who he met. But that whole sequence there, at where you know the period where he's firing, it's total blank, uh, which would comport perfectly with the idea that he had been put into a hypnotic trance, uh, and that whatever that. That was the tap or something put him into range mode. Right. And of course, uh, one of the things that he does remember is is um, meeting this mysterious woman in the polka dot dress. Uh, he remembers this big coffee urn. They wanted coffee. Um, it seems do, do you want to get into that whole story? I mean, that's the thing that intrigues me the most. Absolutely. You know, this whole 
there was this, this, this whole story. Yes, the woman in the polka dot dress who, I mean, there were a number of other witnesses who have corroborated seeing a woman in a polka dot dress running out of the ambassador hotel with a male figure saying, we got him or we shot him or something. Um, yeah. Right. That, that's part of a whole sequence of events around um, Sirhan. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not certain what I think happened here, but again, I'm just reciting uh, testimony and documents and things that others have obtained. And at whowhatwhy.org, we have been very active. I think we're probably the only news organization that has sort of dared to even uh, air this stuff and say, hey, you know, there are all these people with the, with these things that are rather compelling. Uh, and and so um, we 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 know that. Uh, Sirhan, it seems, well, let me put it this way, that at some point Sirhan was uh, identified as for his susceptibility. Now, he worked at the Santa Anita racetrack uh, in, uh, in Pasadena, outside downtown L.A. Uh, you know, he worked with the horses. Uh, he was not a jockey. And by the way, uh, the way I do my journalism, the way we do it at whowhatwhy.org is we look at antecedents. So we don't just say, okay, here he is working at Santa Anita. We always say, well, how did he get the job at Santa Anita? Uh, because these kind of, if in fact this was some very elaborate, uh, planned, covert operation, patsy operation, then all of this might have been planned that, uh, for example, somebody identifies it. Well, let me go back and say there was this huge CIA program, well-documented uh, in subsequent years, MK Ultra, sure. working with mind control. Uh, they had a lot of psychiatrists, psychologists, hospitals uh, on the payroll doing studies all over the country and in some foreign countries as well. Uh, and so they were always looking for people because this was supposedly part of the uh, effort against uh, the communists who they were worried was also getting were, were getting the upper hand in this mind control and they needed to the US needed to get ahead they said so they had all these uh, these programs going and they were looking for people that they could test and so the probability that Sirhan at some point you know was, saw somebody and it was something was entered into a file and it was raised somewhere and he was flagged I think is entirely possible uh, it may have had something to do with his getting his job at Santa Anita but in any case he gets a job at the Santa Anita racetrack somebody there then invites him to go to some ranch uh, he goes to uh, and he's offered to go to the ranch and ride thoroughbreds and this is despite the fact that he's not a jockey he goes they put him on a horse uh, on a foggy day he falls off the horse um, there's some question as to whether he was uh, drugged or something that, to make him fall off the horse but he falls off the horse he's taken to a local hospital, Corona Hospital, uh, it's treated by a Dr. Nelson. It's a eye injury. They release him within four hours. But get this, he then is goes missing for four. I think it's four. Well, anyway, several weeks. He's gone for several weeks. Nobody knows where he was. Now, I mean, hey, that's huge. Right. Guy who ends up a short time later, you know, allegedly shooting a, a, a Robert Kennedy, ends up missing for a few weeks. Uh, and so uh, they're all, the family's trying to find him. He later, uh, I believe it was under the hypnosis, he later remembers uh, be, and that he was being held in some kind of a hospital with, I, I think it was like bars and, uh, and there were no windows. 
and that he wasn't the only one, that there were multiple people he remembered from the ranch who were in the hospital, <laughs> suggesting that they had maybe been steering people to Santa Anita and then from Santa Anita to this ranch and from the ranch to the hospital where I guess somebody, some work was done on him. Supposedly his personality changed. And of course he then goes to the shooting range uh, before uh, going to the election night party with RFK. Now he says that he, he remembers going to the ambassador because there was another, you know, this is the uh, primary night in California. There's lots of candidates holding parties, uh, presumably a number of them holding them at the ambassador, a large hotel. He says he goes there because he had gone to school with the daughter of another candidate who was holding a party there and he was looking to meet girls. Now, my guess is if you dig into this, you find out that even that was a hypnotic suggestion that they somehow, if you believe that, that, you know, it would be consistent that somebody would tell him, hey, why don't you go to this thing? You know, your, right, right. Your, your, your friend's father's going to be there. So he goes there. This guy is not a drinker at all. He's a teetotaler, but he, he drinks not one, not two, not three, but four Tom Collinses. Now, why did he drink four Tom Collinses? That suggests that he's already being, um, you know, guided or something. In any case, he's too drunk to drive, so somehow he decides, and I put this all in quotes because I suspect this is all being steered, to get some coffee. Uh, he runs into this attractive woman uh, with a polka dot dress who's, uh, uh, I, I guess, oh, I, I, here's what I think happened, sorry. I think what happened is this woman's getting him drunk. That's my take. woman in the polka dot dress is flirting with him, getting him drunk. Then he's like, oh, my God, I'm so drunk. She says, let's get And The bartender says, take him to get the coffee. Take him to the urn, U-R-N, coffee urn. Where is the coffee urn? It's somewhere else. They start walking into the room, and a man with a clipboard and a badge says, you can't be here. And he says to the woman, take him to the kitchen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they go to the kitchen. And Sirhan remembers that this woman is extremely distracted, and she keeps turning away, looking like she's waiting for someone, keeps looking away, and suddenly a bunch of people come in, there's a whole flurry of activity, and there is Bobby Kennedy, and at that point, he doesn't remember anything more, he goes into this range mode, uh, and it's only later, somehow he realizes that he thought he was at a shooting range, and was not. Russ, we'll get back to Sirhan Sirhan in a moment. So tragic, while Bobby was sort of the icon of American liberalism, and I'm admittedly a conservative, I think he would have made a great president. But but then again, remember, liberals in 1968 weren't the same as the progressive liberals today. Are you ready to become a leader? Enroll in Army ROTC. You could get a full tuition scholarship, and you'll graduate a leader and an officer in the U.S. Army. Army officers inspire strength in others. To receive more information about the Army ROTC program, visit GoArmy.com forward slash podcast today. That's GoArmy.com forward slash podcast. Paid for by the United States Army. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Investigative journalist Russ Baker is here discussing the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy and the mountain of evidence exonerating the supposed gunman Sirhan Sirhan. Let's assume for a moment that he was the shooter and that he, you know, plotted this whole thing. 
how does he know where Bobby Kennedy is, you know, once he leaves the sort of the main ballroom, which route he's going to take? I mean, that would have been not, you know, only the, the inner circle, uh, his security people would have known that he was going to go, you know, through the kitchen that way. How does Surahan know that? Well, that's right. And in fact, Bobby turned to go another way and his staff thought he was supposed to go another way. And then suddenly, and I, I'd have to go back and check, but one person says, oh, you, you have to go the other way. So, you know, that's where you want to look, obviously. You know, who was that person? How did they get him to go the other way through the kitchen? I mean, ostensibly, nobody knew except whoever told him to do that. And that's, of course, where your investigation has to be. That's exactly right. There's no way he could have known that. There's no way anybody could have known that unless they were given some kind of advance notice by whoever was going to redirect the Kennedy party. How many, how many people, how many witnesses, by your count, saw the woman in the polka dot dress and, and heard her utter something about, you know, we got him, we shot him? I don't know how many there were. I wish I did. Uh, I just have too many historical stories in my head. Uh, and, I, and I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself an aficionado of this. Uh, but I will say this. I know there were uh, several people who saw her. I also know that a woman that came forward in recent years, and I think this is, again, on our website, whowhatwhy.org. Uh, as I recall, we ran this several years ago. She is a, uh, was a fairly moderately successful actress in Hollywood who married a, a, I believe it was a wealthy Canadian man, moved to Canada and has lived in Canada for years. And she saw this woman in the polka dot dress, and I believe she was one of the people who heard her yelling, we got him, we got him. Uh, she came forward, as they say, in the last few years, uh, was interviewed by a major newspaper, asked why she hadn't come forward before. She said she was scared, which I certainly find plausible. Uh, people are, uh, anything can happen to them, and certainly they can be uh, subject to ridicule, ridicule that can be professionally ruinous. Um, uh, but, but, but that gets to a whole other issue, which is if this woman in the polka dot dress was part of something, you know, presumably she would be professional enough not to exult like that, which raises the question again at whether her, she was supposed to um, uh, draw attention to herself, because the whole story of, a, of a, a, a woman in a polka dot dress on its face sounds so ludicrous that people aren't even going to believe the story uh, to begin with. Right, right. So, so what are, what are we saying then here about about her? That this is yet another sort of uh, red herring. Well, no. I mean, I mean, what I think is this. I think that the kinds of people at high levels in intelligence organizations, uh, historically, if we look at the Kennedy, John F. Kennedy assassination, probably this. The, the people like the like E. Howard Hunt and. David Attlee, Phillips, and so on. These were extremely intelligent, bright people who wrote books. I mean, uh, Hunt wrote all these, uh, you know, novels, uh, spy novels, you know, and he would concoct scenarios. And so a lot of these operations, you, you, you know, you have to plot it out like a Hollywood movie uh, with distractions and all kinds of things. This is what a, what a coup is. Uh, uh, those same people were involved in the coup in Guatemala. Uh, a lot of the success of a coup or any kind of operation is not, it's not that hard to shoot somebody what's hard is to get away with it and so it's all the other stuff it's all the logistics it's the dissembling it's the uh, uh, you know the magic trick you know look here not there right uh, and so uh, a sleight of hand whatever you want to call it uh, and and the idea is to send people off on a wild goose chase in the wrong direction uh, to uh, make people argue over what happened or who saw what uh, that's really the art 
of this kind of a thing. And that is where so much of the effort is put in. So they've got a, a whole bunch of distractions, phony leads, things all set up, ready to go. That's why I believe, and as you may know, I've looked at the John F. Kennedy assassination for many years. I've been working on a book about it for 10 years. There are so many. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of these red herrings. Uh, and, and, and in the case of the polka dot woman, I mean, the brilliance of it is she probably was uh, you know, on a very much need-to-know basis. She was recruited uh, by, you know, cutouts. I'm sure she didn't know who she was recruited by, but she was told to do something, uh, which was to what? Get him, you know, get him drunk, right? And then, and then lead him wherever she was told to lead him. That's probably all she knew. And then they probably said, I mean, again, they, whoever that is, uh, you know, yell, we got him, because that was her job. Right, right under the same type of hypno-programming as Sirhan Sirhan, perhaps. She, she could have been, that's right. Also, who has the power to order the LAPD to destroy all of the evidence, to lose the, the ceiling tiles and, the, and the, the other bullets that are found in door jams, etc.? I, I mean, it's unbelievable. I, ha- I have a list somewhere of all of these, all of these uh, pieces of evidence that disappeared, and, and you're well informed on it. I mean, there was so, so much, um, you know, and, or, or, or you know, any of this stuff. I mean, there, there are possibilities. That it appears that Sirhan was, uh, you know, they found a notebook the next day. Well, you know what? Guess, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, Sirhan, uh, James Earl Ray. Do you know all of these people <laughs> had notebooks, you know, <laughs> and they all wrote incriminating stuff in there. Now, is that normal? I mean, I'm going I'm to guess statistically, if you look at most people who shoot somebody, there was not necessarily a notebook. Uh, and I think you have to question that. Now, in Sir Han's case, he apparently wrote in there, you know, RFK must die and so on. And his notebooks were nothing like that. Uh, and so, um, again, this expert from Harvard Medical, after spending all the time with him, concluded that that was probably what they call automatic writing. They think that... Um, there was, there was a whole story with a guy they call Radio Man who he met, and um, he was into shortwave radio, um, and they think that he may have done automatic writing with that there was, they were using some kind of Morse code over the shortwave radio, which was telling him what to write. Uh, and, of course, and consciously, he didn't even know Morse code, but, again, if these people are taught these things while they're under, uh, when they're cognizant, they don't know about any of these things. But, but he was apparently, as I say, so hypnotic hypnotizable he didn't even need to be put into hypnosis uh, to put him into a trance so this guy they probably could have done almost anything with him and again this is so sophisticated so this stuff the disappearing evidence the fact that a coroner Noguchi's uh, uh, you know report uh, and you asked a very good question. Did he testify? I, I, you know, I should look that up. I, I just don't remember. I have to assume he did not testify because how could how could he have? I mean, if he testified to that, don't you think there would have been a huge uproar? I guess he. I guess the the this lawyer and his name escapes me just basically convinced Sirhan to let me let me cop a plea. So again, no. That's the other thing. <laughs> and obviously, you you noticed this whole pattern. There's never a real trial, right? They either the the gunman never. is either cleaned and killed uh or you know it's uh in the case of james earl ray it's uh, he pleads guilty uh or with sirhan sirhan they, they cop a plea there's never there's never a real trial where evidence is presented 
That's right, and, and, and you make a great point that we never find out with him, with any of these guys. And by the way, uh, the same thing happened with the Boston Marathon bombing with these two brothers with that very strange thing where they had no prior records. The government ended up saying there was no other co-conspirators. Uh, you know, I was there for the trial. They shut that guy up real quick, uh, and he was never, you know, they've never even explained why this the younger kid, and we've interviewed people who were friends with him. They all said he was a very nice kid, quite normal, uh, nonviolent, uh, not radical, not political. I mean, why is he going to set up a bomb? <laughs> you know, you have to look at that. And so no trial. I mean, there was a trial, and they made him make a statement, a single sentence to say he was sorry. They told him to do that. This is how you avoid the death penalty or something. And there was nothing else. There was no defense of any kind what or the even thing- explanation. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that's that's puzzled me you know, given how they handled the Kennedy, the JFK assassination, and and they just removed the Patsy uh, and killed Oswald. Why do you suppose they, again, who, whoever they are, would allow Sirhan Sirhan to to live? Why wouldn't they have knocked him off in prison? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I certainly know he's been in um, in, in in solitary a lot, um, uh, and I don't know whether that might have anything to do with, with, with an attempt to, to keep him isolated. But there was no other reason. I mean, his behavior has been impeccable. He's a very gentle guy. Uh, you know, he reads, he's quiet, um, doesn't make any sense. So maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, uh, I, mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, they could have had somebody try to shoot him on, at the scene. Um, but, you know, some of these things go wrong. Um, and a lot of things go wrong, um, and that's that I think is the key factor. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. There are some indications that he was supposed to be taken out, um, and maybe even Officer Tippett, you know, was supposed to be the one who was supposed to take him out. So, uh, you know, stuff goes wrong. A lot of things went wrong with the with the uh, John F. Kennedy assassination. You know, initially, uh, the sheriff's deputies found the wrong gun. They found another gun there. I don't know if you know that they. They, they said that they uh, that they uh, saw a ma- they found a Mauser. That's right. That's uh, and right. later on, they were like, no, 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 no. They misspoke. You know, <laughs> I don't think so. So a lot of things go wrong. How do we get um, a copy of Family of Secrets, Russ? Uh, Family of Secrets uh, is a book I wrote uh, some years ago. It's still quite popular because it goes into all these kinds of things. Uh, I, I don't know if I have much on RFK, but certainly a lot of the John F. Kennedy assassination. I was trying to piece together this larger story of these events and these powerful dynasties, uh, in this case the Bushes, uh, their uh, connections to the CIA and covert operations going way back, never having been reported before, the father Bush uh, being secretly in the CIA in 1963, not remembering where he was when Kennedy was killed, my <laughs> discovering that he was in Dallas that day working with the CIA. I mean, oh, my God, enough to really turn your head around. Uh, Family of Secrets still around. Um, there's an e-book. There's an audio book. Uh, there's you know, paperbacks, hardcovers. They're available online. Uh, I am told it is a good read. <laughs> uh, told that it's something you may want to have in your library. Absolutely. Family of Secrets and, uh, again, the website, whowhatwhy.org. Russ, a great pleasure a meeting and speaking with you, and I hope we can do it again sometime. I'd like that very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's upcoming on Conspiracy Unlimited. Before that, let me ask you, do you own a dog? How would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence and eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? 
Well, a woman named Adrienne Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out their hidden intelligence. And you can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, and no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors. While your dog's brain has the same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. When this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. Realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. Coming up on episode 86 of Conspiracy Unlimited, The Psychic Meaning of Tattoos. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>